0: Welcome to Emron's Podcast, episode number 149. This is your host, Suman Silwal. I hope you're doing great. Visit emruns.com to get 15% discount for a whiskey run Chattanooga, half marathon, and 5K. I hope to see you there. Let's start 2021 together. Races on January 1st, 2021. See you at Chattanooga. In this podcast, I talk with um, Matt Fitzgerald. He's author, uh, runner, triathlete. Uh, many he does many many things. He has written many books. Uh, he's been in M Runs podcast multiple times already. I would like to thank Matt for coming to this podcast. And uh, let's listen to the podcast, guys. Thanks for being out there. Make sure that you like, follow, subscribe to Marathon Runs podcast uh, YouTube channel, uh, and also follow, like uh, Marathon Runs on Facebook, Instagram. Twitter, TikTok, all the places. Uh, thanks for being out there. Thank you. I would like to welcome Matt Fitzgerald to Emron's podcast. Uh, Matt has been a regular guest in Emron's podcast now. Um, this is our third interview with Matt, uh, and um, he's from Northern California. Um, I don't know how the weather is. He can talk about it, but thanks for joining Matt uh, to Emron's podcast.
1: Great to be with you. Um, yeah, it's cold by our, our standards. Um, but uh still it's california <laughs>
0: <laughs> in south i just uh posted a podcast about you know not hibernating during the winter time you know even in south once we get to below 50 degrees, it's a cold weather for us and, and my friends start going to hibernate so what's the winter like for you
1: um the winter is supposed to be our wet season here i mean we've drought has become more and more the norm unfortunately uh, in in recent years but you know it cools down we get typically you know no, no more than a handful of frosts each winter but that's when we get almost all of our rain so we'd like to see a lot of rain because it's dry you know spring summer and fall
0: and no snow for you no never well, yeah, nice. Um, I've been to California running once and traveled a few times, not uh, Northern California. I think that's where you are. So before we move on, let's, uh, you know, we're still under the pandemic situation. How are you keeping up your running um, during this time since uh, March uh, till like right about now? I think they're starting again in California to a lockdown.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, um, you know, I, I got COVID-19 uh, in March Um, so I was sick for a month March and April Hmm. Um, and then when I was able to run again I was even though a lot of other people were losing motivation because all the races were canceled I hadn't been able to run for a month so I was highly motivated (laughs) to get back into shape and I had a really great summer um, trained a lot did you know a lot of virtual races and then about seven or eight weeks ago I developed i what you know i'm still trying to work on getting a diagnosis with doctors but i seem to have developed like a belated um long haul syndrome um that a lot of covid survivors have so i have a variety of symptoms it's not like the actual virus was where for me it was mostly cough it's autonomic nervous system dysregulation so Um, Basically, I can't run again. Um, I have shortness of breath, numbness in my extremities, um, brain fog, erratic heart rate, a variety of um, symptoms that seem to be pretty common, like about maybe 10% of COVID survivors develop this condition. And there's a lot of mystery surrounding it. It's unknown whether people will ever get over it if they're, they're just stuck like this for the rest of their lives. So you caught me at a weird time where like I... I can run a little bit but it's extremely uncomfortable and it it tends to make the symptoms worse if I push too hard. So I'm doing a lot of walking and uh like little walk runs on the treadmill where I can just stop if I need to if I get too dizzy or something. Mm. Uh, so yeah, it's not not going very well for me at
0: the wow. moment. Sorry to hear that. I didn't I didn't realize that uh part of what's going on there. Um sounds like uh you went through hard time and then kind of Got back and again, running. You know, running being part of our life, uh, it's uh, always difficult to, in a year and see friends are suffering through. And you know, we're still not over with this COVID. Uh, Talk about for runners going through uh, COVID situation. Friend of mine, he recently got uh, COVID. You know, his doctor was talking about because of the, we run a lot. Lung is pretty strong, um, so those kind of condition. You know, w- w- for your experience, how did you? You know, when you overcome this, uh, how did you felt? And you know, was it running was really was in? You know, staying active was helpful for you or not? Is um is is that's what something we'll want to hear from you now since since you have experience. So well,
1: it, it's just so individual how the virus affects um, you. Hmm. You know. Um, you know, my wife got it too. She's not a runner. She didn't get nearly as sick as I did. You know, I, I was coughing so hard. I was coughing up blood. <laughs> um, I actually injured some ribs coughing so hard. And, you know, obviously I was very fit. I had just run the Atlanta Marathon and, you know, hmm. won my age group, ran 246 on an extremely hilly course, you know, a few weeks shy of my 49th birthday. So I was fit as a person my age could be but that obviously didn't help me you know I, you know there must have been some you know they say blood type or whatever some genetic susceptibility men tend to get it worse for whatever reason but anyway I got it bad so wow you know I, I'm more or less addicted to running so mm. it's very hard for me to give it up but you get to a point where you just realize you have to you know and you know so I, I just stopped running and, and you know the way the illness affected me I really couldn't even move, you know? Like, I I fainted sometimes just climbing a flight of stairs. Um, Or if I bent over to pick something up, I might faint. So I had no choice but to just become completely sedentary. Um, And, you know, it's hard at first, but then you just accept it. You assume it's not gonna kill you. (laughs) There's an unmistakable anti-athlete bias in medicine because, you know, I couldn't get any help when I had the virus because, you know, I would talk to a doctor on the phone and they're like, you're not short of breath. You can speak in full sentences. I'm like, (laughs) come on, man. Like, I like, you know, I'm short of breath for me like you can't compare me to some you know out of shape couch potato who never exercises like i'm really sick for me but you know it's, it's really hard to get through <laughs> yeah they're, they're so used to seeing people who are just not even healthy to start with before they get covid
0: yeah some of my friends think that i know would discuss with me it's like you know we do all our best thing to stay healthy you know is it uh is it possible to get the covid uh listen to you it is possible um, and um, I wish you well. Hopefully, you'll feel better, and you know, over the time, you know, everything has a cycle. I guess you'll uh, run through it. Hopefully, so. So I don't want to talk too much about it because you know you're still going through it. Maybe in the future podcast we can come back. Maybe you'll have another book writing about it. So <laughs> 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 you, you know, last time you said you're always into writing some books, and you know, so maybe this experience maybe teach you something and. We can learn from it, definitely. Uh, Matt, I just want to switch the topic uh, a little bit, and then if we had to discuss uh, something else, we'll come back. Uh, let's, uh, let's talk about um, your book, Running the Dream, the name of the book. Uh, it took me a while to listen through that book. I don't read a whole lot these days. I just have a lot of time to listen. So I listened to your book, uh, uh, and it was a very interesting book. Uh, you train with pros uh, and uh uh, I think you call yourself fake pro runner, and uh, yeah. <laughs> and the, you ran really great Chicago Marathon. Let's talk about that experience, and talk about your book, and tell us about that.
1: Yeah, so I think you know if you um, if you were go t- to go to a, like a third grade classroom anywhere in America and ask the kids in the class, especially the boys, probably like what they want to do when they grow up, you know, probably a sizable majority are going to say they want to be a professional athlete. You know, because when you're a kid, you're all about playing and sports are, you know, just a form of play. So, you know, you know, so if you get into running and, and running is the sport you're passionate about, it's natural to kind of fantasize about, you know, what would it be like to to be a pro, to have a shoe contract, you know, to be able to focus on running and not worry about, you know, trying to pay my bills with some kind of office job or, or what have you and just see how far I could go. You know, if I had, you know, all the resources and all the time. Um, you know, the support. So, you know, it's a widely shared fantasy, um, but it's something that very, 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 very few people actually get to experience for real, you know, exclusively really for the young and talented. But I decided, you know, what the heck, as a middle-aged runner who, even when he was younger, was not talented enough to to get a shoe sponsor. Um, I, I pulled a few strings just by virtue of the connections I have in the sport and hooked up with the Northern Arizona Elite professional running team in Flagstaff. And in the summer of 2017, I, I spent the entire summer there um, completely immersing myself in the professional running lifestyle. And you know, I just wanted to be able to sort of like live the experience on behalf of the running community at large, and obviously, you know, write about it, share it, um, so that others who, you know, may never get an opportunity like that could experience it vicariously through me. Definitely.
0: Uh, think about, um, pro runners, uh, running distance runners. How big is that field? The runners, uh, in our part of the in country, there's not, not much pro runners. Like how big is the, uh, the pro runners or, I mean, especially distance runners you, you find out there?
1: Well, um, it's a little fuzzy because you know there's there's so little money in the sport you know mm. you know the, the number of people who um who actually are professional in the sense that they make a living entirely from their running if we're talking about distance runners you know it's just like a you know couple few hundred in the entire country and then there's a whole gray area of people who are maybe good enough to qualify for the Olympic trials marathon but There's just not enough money in the sport. You know, they're sort of like a second tier um, elite. And those folks, you know, they may get free shoes, (laughs) but Mm. are they really a professional? You know, they're really good. They're they're elite talent-wise, but they probably have to have some other sort of job. You know, work in a shoe store or be a massage therapist. So it's a little nebulous. Like if you look at the Chicago Marathon, which I was actually able to run in the professional division, yeah, you know, that's a race with what? I think it's like 40,000 people do it. The pro division is 50 people, <laughs> men and women combined. So, as a percentage, you can
0: see it. Quite a little. I mean, yeah, I have a friend um, here. He was pro runner, but he was a rocket scientist at the same time, I guess. So. Oh. <laughs> like I said, uh, uh, money is not there quite yet. Uh, will the sports uh, ever? Will be big enough to have a money like a professional like you know we're talking i'm thinking more like a professional football player basketball player you know i don't think we'll ever get to that stage
1: don't you think no i mean you know the the money is actually there and you know th- there are people who uh in the sport who are advocating for more resources to be devoted to the top athletes you know the, the big running shoe brands they make a lot of money you know they mm. could They could invest more in developing and supporting elite talent, but they just, I think they just don't feel the need to. It was different. Like you take a sport like basketball, that's a television sport. Almost everyone who's a fan of basketball does not play basketball. Running is entirely different. It's not a spectator sport. It's a participatory sport. So most runners are going to go ahead and buy shoes regardless of you know what the pros are wearing or doing and and you know the average recreational runner can't even name five professional runners you know so well, um yeah i don't really see that changing
0: got it yeah um switching the topic a little bit on the same area um you and you talk about the training extensive training you had to go go through in you in your book and uh, just walk us through uh some of those uh you know you i i remember listening about you know, morning runs, afternoon runs, evening runs, hard runs, and easy runs. And let's talk about just a little bit about how how, how they have to go through as a, as a pro, pro athlete. You
1: know, even though there's, you know, I just got through saying there's not a ton of money um, in professional running, it is still highly professionalized. Um, and I was quite struck mm-hmm. by that you know, during the time I spent with the team, they know what they're doing. You know, they have a a highly evolved system. There've been generations of professional runners and their coaches figuring out what works and, and what doesn't, and they have the formula down. You know, obviously they, they run a lot. The goal for me was not to just go through the meat grinder and like try to run 130 miles per week like some of the 25-year-olds on the team were doing. It was to like, Do what they're doing, but scale down in a way that it wouldn't destroy me. So, you know, I I was, you know, I was running twice a day most days, but I only got up to I think 91 or 92 miles in a week, you know, compared to you know well over 100 that that the real pros were doing. But they would meet as a group you know because it's a team you know i think there were a dozen runners in the team and they don't like all live together in a dormitory <laughs> they all live somewhere you know in flagstaff but they would meet usually every morning for a run and then run again on their own in the afternoon and they have you know a full-time coach who organizes everything they would get people to help out sometimes you know some of the things i got spoiled with like were having a vehicle support for some of the long workouts. Like we would do a lot of the marathon specific workouts on this road called Lake Mary road. Mm -hmm. And you would just run straight. It just goes on forever. So like you would finish 16 miles from where you started, but like you would have, you know, an assistant to the team dedicated to, you know, dry hopscotching, you know, sort of like driving ahead, stopping, handing you your bottle when you went by catching your split times for you so really cool you know it just you felt like a a real pro you know just out there <laughs> having a bunch of people running around um you know making sure you're set up for success
0: definitely um and also uh you know you, you have to eat properly like a pro you know you have written many books about eating healthy food what is it like uh staying with the pro runners and eating like them
1: yeah, so um, when I was in Flagstaff, I actually lived um, in the home of one of the members of the team, Matt Yano, and uh, you know, you know, they don't all eat exactly the same, right? You know, they they they, they live independently. They all have their different tastes. Um, you know, some of the runners are fresh out of college, and they still eat like college dudes, or <laughs> uh, but but um, but you know, by and large, they yeah, they do maintain maintain i mean they sort of have to right they're trying to compete against the kenyans um so they can't just you know train a lot and eat fast food um and it so happens that matt yano you know i wrote a book previously called the endurance diet which is all about how elite endurance athletes eat and and matt yano's diet is is like exhibit a like it's Mm. just so, it was just so clean, so high quality. Even when I was on my own in California, I thought that my diet was quite good, but honestly, I had to raise my game (laughs) when I was staying with Matt, just uh, to try and, you know, it's easy to kind of fool yourself a little bit, and you look at your own diet through rose-colored glasses and you think it's a little bit better uh, than it actually is, so, um, during the time I was there, I definitely cleaned some things up a bit, you know, uh, copied some of Matt's habits. And I will say, and you know, I was I thought I was already at my ideal racing weight when I got there. Uh, but I lost nine pounds uh, wow. over the 13 weeks. And I think that was yeah, definitely one of the factors that contributed to the improvement I experienced there.
0: Yeah, definitely. In your book, you talk about Matt's cooking and the kitchen all the time. So yeah, it really it's a, during the time of the pandemic, I'm still in the kitchen cooking, and I, I've always I wondering, you know, is there a, something you know I may have to listen back and uh, read about it a little bit more, because and during this pandemic, I kind of became some sort of cook, a chef or something, family chef here, cooking for my kids and family. But uh, I don't think I follow really a good endurance diet. <laughs> I cook. Things that taste good. What are the uh, diets uh, that was a little different than you thought from Matt's cooking?
1: Well, it wasn't so much that it was, you know, different. It was just specific. You know, it was it was his particular way of eating. One thing that I've seen a lot of elite endurance athletes do they they'll have meals with an impossible number and variety of ingredients, all like thrown together, like you know, like one pot type of, of meals that stands in stark contrast to you know so many recreational runners you know they follow popular diets which are all about like what you don't eat what you're not allowed to have what's toxic you know what's bad for you what do you cut out elimination and the elite athletes by and large do exactly the opposite they're all about inclusion and, and well-roundedness and balance and variety and one of one of the ways that manifests is in like I remember, what when I first arrived, but yeah, my wife came with me to for the summer, and when we showed up at Matt's house on the on the first day, um, he was actually putting his uh, dinner together, and I asked him like, "What's in it?" And it was like, you know, one of these, you know, one pot type hmm. of meals, just you know, a bowl with all. It, it was like 14. I'm not, and I'm not exaggerating. Like 14 different foods in there, <laughs> representing every food group, and he would do the same thing for breakfast like he would have you know smoothies um or or shakes with you know again a huge variety of ingredients so that's like that's one thing that i had already seen uh other elite athletes do that but but matt definitely did that in spades they want to make sure they're they're checking every box nutritionally
0: definitely and then nutrition is so important beyond training you know just to recover and eat and i feel like i don't eat healthy enough so Always, uh, you know, trying new food, and since I'm in the kitchen nowadays, you know, I'm, uh-huh. and I cook mostly. I eat. Uh, I'm a vegetarian still. Uh, I think we talked about that in a previous yeah. podcast. Uh, I'm still a vegetarian for running, uh, but you know, even there, if I cook a meat for my family, I'm cooking exactly the same food, you know, for for me. So, so usually it works out well. Uh, tikka masala is one of our favorite. <laughs> this is yeah, in That's our. It. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Butter's becoming my you know, go to you know, uh, things to put in all everything I cook is not buttery, but the butter. Not and yeah. uh, just enough butter, just so I can smell it. So love those smells. Um so definitely uh, um Matt uh, let's uh let's talk about uh, the recovery process. Um in there you talk about a lot about the recovery, you know, you know, you just mentioned about you know people you know, runners running. Um, more than a hundred miles a week. And that's a lot of miles. And I think I have most miles I've logged ever in my life in a week is a 90 mile, I think 91, something like that. That's a lot of miles even, uh, talk about those, those recover, recovering from, from those kind of run from day to day, you know, morning to night. And how, how does, how, how does that work for all the pros?
1: Recovery is really so simple because, um, your body does it automatically. And all you need to do is, is not run. <laughs> and well, I mean, there's this tendency to think, um, you know, you know, technology and science play such a huge role in our society. And you look at how the East African runners recover where, you know, they, you know, those are poorer countries comparatively, and they don't have, you know, like, you know, the fancy, you know, compression boots and, and stuff. And they just recover by, relaxing. You know, they, uh, food is definitely a part of it. So, you know, you have a healthy diet, you get plenty of sleep, uh, you manage stress and you rest like that's how you recover. And like, you know, like CBD oils and, and supplements and, um, you know, like compression boots, all that stuff. Those are gimmicks. Like they, they, it, to the degree they do anything, it's, it's almost entirely a placebo effect. So, Typically, I find when people want to have this conversation, they're expecting me to talk about some kind of gadget or something. And that's just, that's not how it's done. Those things are distractions. Like Hmm. the the pros, one of the advantages of being a pro is like, after you finish your run, you don't have to go to work. (laughs) Like that's the secret to recovery (laughs) when you're a runner. But you know what? I will say one, one of the things that was most surprising about my experience you know, in Flagstaff as a fake professional runner was how actually, how, how good I felt because I was definitely running more than I had in, in many years, but I had never felt so good running so much, you know, just like getting out of bed in the morning. I wasn't all creaky and sore the the way I was used to being like when I got deep into marathon training. And I think, you know, one thing that contributed to that was that we did almost all of our easy runs on uh, trails. So I, where I live, there just, there isn't great trail access. So I mm-hmm. think, you know, doing the bulk of, of my running on softer surfaces, that helped. Um, I, I have to say, you know, I, I got regular sports massage therapy treatments from, they have massage therapists who basically work for the team. And so all the, they know runners inside and out, they're really good. I mean, you know, where I live, I can go get a massage, but I'm probably the first runner who's walked in that person's door in a a month. You know what I mean? And it makes a difference. I think, you know, that helped as well. Yeah. I mean, you know, recovery is hugely important and it's clear that you can do things that will, um, but I would say like most recreational runners have room for improvement, (laughs) you know, because I I experienced that for myself. I, I simply recovered better when I was living like the pros but it's not about, you know, science and technology, it's about the simple stuff. Got
0: it. Yeah. Got it. Since um since uh being in May and May first, um I've been running almost every day 5k or more, that's what I call it. Um, my listeners they they know about it, I talk uh, often about it. Um, I haven't talked too much. Uh, I wanted, you know, I think there was a podcast out there and I wanted to at the end of the year probably look back and see how that all worked. I missed like three days. I'm not a, this is the most every everyday running or this much running I have done in 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 years. I mean, ever since I started running, I don't do everyday running. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, that's not my thing. But uh, but just uh, because of the pandemic, trying to get back, kind of trying did do that. Uh, but uh, talking about recovering, um, uh, tie back to recovering, basically sometime it's just like you said, the body just knows how to recover. It knows it has to run, and you know it recovers. Sort of you know, even now I go run 31 miles, you know, one day, and the next day I'm running 5k, just slowly, just trotting. <laughs> it's but uh, but it's been interesting uh, for me. Sometimes um, sometimes sometime it's n- not that easy. You know, body just don't uh, you know run. But but uh, but uh, for for a professional runner, uh, they're running. What is the longest shortest mile or longest mile in, in those runs are they daily daily runs? I think you do daily runs, correct? How does the training look like? You go like a long mile one day a shorter mile harder i mean listen to your book I think there's uh different patterns you have there
1: yes, i mean there's um you know a lot of day to day you know modulation in training volume and intensity um so yeah yeah if you imagine you know 90 to 130 miles per week divided up into 7 you know and you know it's the same amount each day no that's not that's not how that's not how they do it you know they definitely had you know easy days and and hard days typically there was some sort of you know quote unquote workout bigger run uh key session about every 3 days um and those tended to be like you know, most, most recreation runners, they either do long runs or they do workouts, you know, with intensity in them for, for the pros, especially when they're in marathon training, it's all blended together. So we would do like, you know, longer, like interval and, and tempo workouts that would last 18 miles. So it's 18 miles of running, but a lot of it's fast. (laughs) Um, and, you know, broken up, you know, highly structured. Um, so a ton of sessions like that, but not again, not every day, you know, about every three days or so. And just an incredible variety. You know, it's, you know, obviously, you know, I've been running for a while. I'm a coach. I write about running. I, I, I'm knowledgeable of the sport, but w- when you're self coached and you're on your own, it's easy to get into a rut where you're, you're kind of like using the same tools o- over and over. Um, and, you know, with the pros, like the variety of different workouts was um, staggering. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> it, it was just like it was kind of fun. You know, I did a bunch of workouts there that I had never done before in my life. You know, a lot of a lot of workouts that mixed together, like different intensities. Like there's one workout I described in the book that was so complex. I actually had to create a crib sheet for it. Like I had to write down what it mm-hmm. was. And and I actually laminated it so I wouldn't get destroyed from my sweat and and kept it in my shorts because I I couldn't it was so complex I couldn't remember <laughs> all all the parts.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, it sounds like intense uh, training, um, going you know going from day to day, uh, week by week, uh, in a progress towards a uh, marathon day. Talking about that, uh, what kind of um, cross training. Is there a cross training uh, pro athlete? I mean I see most of the time, you know, they then they do a lot of running and very light cross training, weightlifting or any any other cross training. How's that worked for you and during those months that uh, you were in
1: Flagstaff? Yeah, so um, you know, for for several years before this experiment, if we can call it that, um, I had been, you know, I decided um That, you know, because I was getting older and I was always kind of injury prone, I I decided um, and and I'm also a triathlete. So, you know, a lot of runners, they they just if they're not running, they don't know what else to do. Like for me, cross training is easy. I like riding a bike. I like swimming. So my formula for some time had been I was only running every other day but I was training twice a day, you know, almost every day. Hmm. So you know, I was relying very heavily on, on cross-training to avoid injury, um, but without sacrificing fitness. I didn't wanna just run less and, and rest more, I wanted to run less without training less. Um, so when I met with the coach of NAZ Elite uh, in planning this experiment, uh, Ben Rosario, I told him this. I said, you know, this is kind of how it's been for me for a while. And like any good coach, you know, he took that seriously. He he doesn't just you know have a cookie cutter approach, you know, one size fits all training that he gives to each and every runner. Even the pros on the team, you know, yeah, they can all run a lot. They're all durable, but they're all individual as well. So he he will tailor the training. You know, he has a general philosophy, but he. Customizes it teach athlete, even among the pros, and he was very willing to allow me to keep doing uh, some cross training. So that was the plan going into Flagstaff. The way it worked out is that I, I actually ended up tolerating the running much better um, than expected. So I ended up not doing as nearly as much cross training as I had expected to. I did you know more running and less you know non impact cardio training, except. I got injured halfway through, and then it was like you know, it was pretty much all all cross training for mm. uh, a little while. Um, and that's 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 how most of the pros do it too. They cross train on on the regular. They fall back to it when they need to. So
0: the running is always the primary sports. Um, I think that's... yeah, cool. I mean
1: they do plenty of ancillary stuff. You know, a lot of you know, strength training, um, mobility work. Um, that kind of stuff. So it's not all running, but typically when I think of cross training, I think of, you know, non-impact cardio alternatives to running, um, versus, you know, strength training and flexibility, mobility, I kind of put in, in a different bucket. Okay. And, you know, they, they all, they all did a, a ton of that.
0: Okay. Yeah. That, I think that's also what I wanted to find out. How, how did that work? Uh, because a lot of time, you know, uh, we runners, um, we just run. <laughs> that's yeah. that's all we do is just like go out and just run. A lot of times we do get asked that you uh, know, I mean, what kind of cross training you do. It's like, oh, no, just run. So definitely, uh So Matt, uh, let's let's keep moving. Uh, uh, you know, you train whole summer. Uh, you're you're lined up at Chicago, um, with the elite. Uh, tell us about uh, that whole experience. Actually, going to be the first. And then, you know, I was there twenty seventeen, I paced four thirty probably an hour after you started or something. <laughs> you're almost <laughs> finishing by the time I started line, so probably halfway through. <laughs> Tell us about your experience uh, uh actually training through the the whole summer and now finally you're here you are a start line of Chicago Marathon, looking at the big tall building and and, and clear street ahead because most of the time I pace there's everybody's already started, so Tell us about that.
1: It really was. Um, it was like living a fantasy, you know. Um, it's like, you know, if you, if you love to sing and suddenly you find yourself on stage on American Idol, you know, on national television with knowing that millions of people are watching you, you know. I, I was the way it worked out um, is that the agent for um, NAZ Elite, a guy named Josh Cox, who used to be a professional runner himself. Um, you know, he, he obviously, you know, he, he negotiates contracts on behalf of the athletes for the races they do all the time. And so he thought it would be, he really embraced, you know, my whole fake pro runner experience. So he had a good relationship with Kerry Pankowski, the, the director of the Chicago Marathon, pulled some strings with him and, and got me an elite bib. You know normally, if you're a male runner, you have to have run a two thirteen marathon or the equivalent mm. you know to get an elite bib so obviously you know i i i couldn't I couldn't get that on the merits um but uh, I think Carrie was persuaded that it would be cool to make an exception for me knowing that I would write about it so to give people an inside look at, uh at what it's like to be a pro and it, it was just like it was just one of those. I must be dreaming type of experiences, you know, from, you know, from the moment I landed in Chicago, you know, I I had a limo that took me along with some other pros and, and coaches and VIPs to the hotel. They had things like, you know, things that you wouldn't even think of that like only pros have to do like, like uniform inspection. Like you're as a pro, you're not allowed to run with like a, like a logo on your shirt or even your hat. That's too big. So I like had to have my uniform inspected before the race, but you know, you get your own special bus to the start. You there's a there's a tent uh where you get to like hang out and put up your feet or whatever, like with a stretching area. You've got your own warm-up area, you've got um your own like like a dozen porta potties that are shared by only fifty athletes. So there there was never a line. In fact, <laughs> After we went to the start line, and again, you know, we there are forty thousand people behind us. We get to stand right on the line. But I remember seeing uh, Galen Rupp, uh, who ended up winning the men's division that day. I, I think they were, it was like five minutes before the start of the race, and he suddenly tears back away from the start line to the porta potties because he had to go. And I thought, well, if he can do it, so can I. <laughs> I mean, what a luxury is! I mean, imagine that, like instead of having to kind of hold it for 26 miles um or find a place to go during the race you can you could take care of your business like basically right up until the starting gun of course you know as soon as the gun goes off well uh, i will say this i mean obviously i wasn't running as fast as the other pros so when the gun when the gun went off i ended up being swallowed up by the by the crowd but i did get to the, the kind of final perk of the pro experience for me was um the the pros have their own drink stations. Um, mm. Anyone who's done a big marathon with the pro division has probably seen that. Yeah, we have seen uh, those. where you get to um, you get to choose whatever you want to put in your own bottles, and then the bottles are waiting for you um, at at every five k throughout the race. So I did have I did have that as well as part of the experience. Yeah,
0: definitely. I would like to know about the tent. We do have a pacers in Chicago. You know we we do have a tent, and it's way out there. It's by the fountain. So. So you know we do have you know porta potties you know next to us, but by the time runners figures out they're all lined up. So for your tent is like right there at the at the start.
1: Yes. Yeah. It was like you know a uh, hundred and fifty foot walk <laughs> from, <laughs> from, from the tent to the, to the start line. Yeah. Oh.
0: Definitely. Yeah. I
1: mean, they get the VIP treatment for sure.
0: So definitely. Um. So uh, so so running uh, through the Chicago. Um, you ran pretty fast, uh, that day, uh, do you get to enjoy, uh, how does the, how, how does it look like at the, at the front when, when you're passing through, uh, like I mentioned earlier, by the time I pass through, there's, you know, hundreds and thousands of people lined up and, you know, music going, party is happening. So is it like that at the front, front of the line?
1: Well, um you know, when I race, I mean, I, I've done, you know, races just for fun, but you know, I was there to race mm. and, and also, um, I very much viewed it as, um, like a last chance, you know, in the book, I talk about how I had never really, it was part of the reason I wanted to do this. I felt like I never really fulfilled my potential as a runner, um, especially at the marathon distance. And, you know, here I had this kind of um, uh, gift, you know, an opportunity um, that I would probably never have again where, you know, um, to do something that I would feel did fulfill the potential I hadn't up to that point. So I had my game face Mm. on and and so as soon as I started running. I could have been on the moon for all I knew. Like I, I didn't see anyone. I didn't hear anyone. I didn't know where I was. I was just it was just tunnel vision, uh, focused on you know my splits and my pace and my perceived effort and my drink bottles, and I had no idea what was going on. I told someone after I finished, like I need to actually come back and do this again so I can experience Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. Because I, I don't, I don't remember. Yeah. I don't remember the chorus or the people or or yeah. what i heard or anything
0: yeah you need to come and pace uh let me know if you're interested right. so we need <laughs> some faster pacers so we'll, i'll put you in so so definitely um yeah it's fun it's just like oh i mean when i have pace 430 we're we, i'm having a party from the start till finish yeah
1: i'll bet so
0: <laughs> dance and music and you know all the all the different little uh, neighborhood we pass through. You know it's just beautiful. I love Chicago. I've missed going this year, but uh, I'll be there next year. So, so definitely. Uh, sounds like you have such a great experience, uh, Matt. Uh, and uh, you know you wrote a book about it and um, Running the Dream, uh, guys. Uh, if you listen to this podcast, uh, look at it look it up. It's on Amazon uh, um, and everywhere else. You can find the book um, and also. Um, audible. Um, that's uh, that's where I listen. Um, so definitely, uh, Matt, you mentioned earlier pre-interview um, that you you have a new book coming up. Uh, let's talk about that just briefly. Can you preview it? Uh, we can come back and talk about that in the future maybe. So,
1: so the title is uh, The Comeback Quotient. The subtitle is A Get Real Guide to Building Mental Fitness in Sport and Life. Um, It's kind of a follow-up maybe you know a few of the people listening have read. um, How bad do you want it? Um, Which is kind of a deep dive into uh, Endurance sports psychology Um, and this one is uh, Similar a little bit more practical in in focus. It's funny when I worked on it, you know, I didn't know that a a Pandemic was coming and just you know a very Mm -hmm. tumultuous year. So now I feel like you know, we're in an odd situation where every runner is going to need to come back from something at some time. Um, and I, dev- I, def- I define comebacks very broadly, just as sort of like anytime things are going not your way, <laughs> <laughs> any type of challenge or adversity, which is almost daily on some level for for runners. But yeah, when I when I sat down to write it, I didn't know what was coming in 2020. But now it seems like we're in a situation where we're all coming back from the same thing at the same time. <laughs> So it ended up being kind of timely I think.
0: So, so you're so right about it um I was racing last week. I haven't I, I don't race as as hard as I used to. Um I was racing hard um the, one of the I, I I had a I have a podcast and one of the things I, I was talking about it is is uh, someday you run with your legs, and someday you you run with your mind and heart. So that that was the race for me. I ran a half <laughs> marathon with my mind, and you know, like you said, mental mental toughness. You know, hard. You know, just to want to see where I am. You know, I'm trying to get out of this thing. It sounds like a it will be interesting book, uh, Matt. So so definitely that that will we'll look forward when it when it comes out. When when is the release date for that?
1: uh december tenth I actually received my uh author copies yesterday um so mm. it's it's been printed but yeah it'll start shipping uh pretty much you know within a week wow
0: just just in time for christmas uh for all yep. the all the listeners so <laughs> definitely. We talked so many different aspects. Um I'm sorry to hear about your current situation uh with the COVID. Hopefully you can get that over and, and maybe you can write the experience and uh, write a book about it. Maybe you're already thinking about it, so as you getting out because um, you know, time is still difficult. we don't know when the when everything's gonna go away, but but um but running is uh, something we shouldn't stop. Uh it's a mental in health uh, physical health running has given me a mental you know a, a strength at this time running every day so and so Matt uh, before we uh, uh, close uh, this interview and uh, look forward for next one uh, whenever we get a minute and, or so um, I just want you to uh, uh, you know we talked so much about uh, running the dream um, your, your book uh, uh, and you mentioned several times if you listen this podcast carefully. Matt talks about a lot of different aspects of running the dream. Uh, uh, Before we close uh, this interview, uh, uh, give us a words of advice to those uh, who's uh, not feeling well uh, going through this uh, pandemic uh, situation mentally, um, physically, and um, running the dream. uh, Good good day ahead. Uh, Tell us about, uh, uh, give us a words of advice.
1: I think, you know, um, in running at all times, you, no matter where you are in the journey, whether it's going well or going poorly, you need to balance, um, challenging yourself on on one side and being kind to yourself on the other. Um, and you really need both. It's just a matter of, um, how you balance them. You know, there are times when I'm struggling in a race where You know, I I, my inner drill sergeant comes out and just starts badgering and berating me to, you know, to man up and not be a wimp. There are times when it's appropriate, I think, to be hard on yourself, um, to challenge yourself, to to show some courage. But there are also times when that's not helpful. When you just need to be uh, gentle and forgiving to yourself and give yourself a break. There's a skill to figuring out where the balance needs to shift, you know, given your, your immediate situation. Uh, but I think it can be helpful to, for runners to frame it in that way and not to feel obligated, um, to do one or the other in any given moment. Sometimes it's helpful to just, when you're just feeling out of sorts, um, to take a step back and ask yourself, is this a time to challenge myself or is this a time to be gentle (laughs) and kind? To myself. And, you know, it, maybe it's, you know, always both to a degree, but, you know, the balance can shift in one direction or another. Um, you know, I'm finding as I negotiate my way through the, the challenge I'm facing right now, you know, I, I'm, I'm I'm doing that myself. So I'm, I'm not offering uh, your listeners any advice that I don't try to, to practice in my own running journey.
0: Thanks for your words of advice and thanks for coming back to Emron's podcast and uh, talking to me and talking to my listeners um they've been wanting to listen to you for a while uh uh, here here's your voice uh so thanks uh thanks for being out uh doing great things out there writing books and being part of this running running journey and um and motivating us and and uh, showing us what can be done
1: well thank you suman i enjoyed it thank you